This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1732, Comic Talk. I'm Ian Levenstein. I'm Adam Murdo. And I'm Chris Everett. Comic Lucy Goosey, Wibbly Wobbly, Timey Wimey Comic Talk. Ah, uh, Ian, your sonorous tones. <laughs> Tonic for the spirit. How's everybody doing tonight? Great, now that I hit down with you two fine fellows. Here, here to that. Murd, how are you? Uh, fair to Midland. Apparently, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, well, at least you're not tired of us. It, uh, nope, nope. <laughs> I can <laughs> verify that much. <laughs> Murd, being tired is the perpetual state of middle class America. Uh, <laughs> well, well, then I'm bourgeois bushed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as I was as I was discussing to you gentlemen before we got started, I'm I'm glad to be fever free and uh, and tonsil at nearly normal size for this episode after my bout with strep this weekend. Viva la moxicillin. Amen to that. Yeah, I had to, I had to describe to my uh, to the doctor that I was seeing that I'm allergic to the opposite of penicillin. And not penicillin because the one time they gave me erythromycin, I broke out on hives in hives everywhere, including my feet. Ian, revealing you, your super heroic uh, vulnerability. Yeah, that and kryptonite, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's just swell, gang. Oh yep. man. All righty. So, uh, we're comic talk. Let's do it. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Where we want to start tonight, gentlemen. Uh, and you, you can go first. You're 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 uh, piloting the ship. All right. Uh, well, uh, news did come from up high on a how much Disney Plus is going to cost, and b what a bunch of the premier uh, offerings are going to be for said uh, service once it launches. Uh, I'm in the dark. Please illuminate, sir. So it's only going to cost six ninety nine, hmm. um, which is a strong price point. You can also get 12 months for, I believe, $69. So essentially, uh, along the same lines of what DC Universe is doing, right. where it's two months for free if you uh, if you buy the 12 at the at the start. Um, and it's going to have uh, a bunch of the Marvel series that we all thought were coming, including a Winter Soldier Falcon series. Wow. A, oh, wow. A Loki series. I heard about that one, yeah. A series featuring Wanda Maximoff and Vision, uh-huh. which is actually going, which is actually going to be called WandaVision. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, they already mentioned that uh, the well, actually no, they confirmed that the What If series is going to be animated. Oh, fantastic! Which then leads them to be able to do a lot more with it. Yes. And and one of the very first uh, uh, episodes is going to feature What If. Peggy Carter had become Captain America. 
Oh, wow. Will she be voicing the character? She will indeed. Oh, terrific. Yep. And uh, also, uh, Star Wars The Mandalorian will be a launch uh, uh, title for this. And that's uh, live action? That is live action, uh, directed and show run by, by... I believe, uh, why am I blanking on his name all of a sudden now? Uh, Iron Man. Uh, oh, John Favreau. Yes, John Favreau, yes. Oh, terrific. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be the man behind that. And uh, pretty much every single Disney movie ever is going to be available on this service. And Marvel and Star Wars, I imagine. Yep. Once, Basically, once the uh, deal with Netflix is officially done, you'll see the bulk of everything there but everything going forward from this moment including captain marvel and endgame and all that will be exclusive to disney plus that won't even go to netflix and when is this starting uh i believe the launch date is later this year um okay. and uh let me get the the exact date on it but uh yeah it, it's a it's a strong uh push and they're already talking about potentially bundling this as a one two three combo with Hulu and ESPN for those who are already using those services that might make it a little bit cheaper. Um, considering how much they already own, it makes sense. November 12th is the launch okay. of this series. For- well, Winter Soldier and the Falcon, that's exciting. Yeah. Wow. It really is, yeah. And and they wow. and they have that mentioned that, that, that these will affect the movies, that, that, that these are not just one-offs that are only existing in a vacuum like what ABC's... Uh, series uh, have have essentially done um, that these will be you know referenced in one way or, the, or in another or another in the movies to come. Is there any indication that they may bring the Netflix know. series characters onto this channel? Not at this time. Um, okay. And to be honest, there's probably more of a chance of it of them coming to Hulu than it is to Disney okay. Plus. I got you. Especially now that AT and T sold its share in in Hulu. Meaning that Disney has like a sixty percent share of Hulu, okay. now. so it's it's essentially their other streaming service, um, which is why you'll see shows go to Hulu that are that are Marvel as much as you'll see them go to go to Disney Plus, just because they have that outstanding relationship. Yeah, because I, I got a deal on Hulu through this. I think it's through this fall where it's at nine, like ninety nine cents a month. Nice. So very cool. Oh, that's that's great. I mean, well, how do we feel about? You know the, the 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 colossus that is now Disney. <laughs> well, it's it's a little scary. Um, I'll, I'll fully admit that. Uh, I, it's not all fun and games. I mean, even though I'm excited to see you know Fantastic Four back back where it belongs and the X Men mm-hmm. and what have you. Um, plus, I mean, Deadpool. Come on, Deadpool could have interactions with the Avengers, which, which is a very weird concept to think of in my head. <laughs> um, but at the same time, they have a lot of control here. And, and at the same, it, that means that what they say essentially goes for a lot of movies out there. It's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see where we go in the future here. Well, if one thing I'll say, and I mean I, I totally concur with your sentiment, but one thing I will say is if Kevin Feige continues to have his hand on the tiller, yeah, and I've been very impressed with their. Uh, how they've captured the spirit of the source and how they clearly are, are de- demonstrating, um, you know, reverence to the, the spirit of the source material mm-hmm. in so many ways. If that continues, I'll, I'll be one happy camper. Yeah. Um, so, and like you said, we've talked about this on, other, on previous episodes as well, so I won't belabor too much, but yeah. 
uh, I mean, Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom is something that I and and Silver <laughs> Surfer for that matter. Yeah, uh, is something I'm extremely excited about. And, I, and it, again, if it's, if they have the same approach, I'm confident that we'll finally get the FF movie we've been waiting for for I don't know how many decades now. I'll, so. I'll also bring up that the final, the quote unquote final season of Star Wars: The Clone Wars will be premiering on the Disney Plus uh, service as well. well. I didn't realize that show had hadn't ended. Uh, it technically did, but just like Young Justice, they're bringing it back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was like an uh, there was essentially an entirely unproduced season of the show um, that oh, okay. that sat dormant for forever. Um, which they com- they com- I think they released like the six episodes that were completed straight to Netflix. And now this is going to continue the story that never got a chance to be completed. Well, one thing that excites me about this is that I only saw season one of Rebels, which I thought was tremendous. Yeah, and I saw and I saw the the long form episode of opening of season two with Vader. So I'm excited. I'm sure they'll put all that on the channel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll definitely want to watch all that. So, yeah. you know, it's funny because when you think about Monopoly, when you think about just the colossal corporate power and influence in our country right now, which I'm sure is going to be a big topic in the next presidential election. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to look at it in through this entertainment lens um, because on the one hand, as, as a geek, I'm very excited for all the new possibilities when it comes to show entertainment. But then you think about it economically, politically, you know, it, it, it gives me pause. Um, so there's there's that there's that struggle <laughs> in my own, you know, peanut gallery mind when I think about uh, these types of issues. Uh, sure. There's obviously far more impressive and important topics in the country right now, a multitude actually, but um, – it's 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 an interesting little conundrum to think about. I mean, how how does creativity, how is that how will that be affected? Like you know, again, if and I, if the wrong people or person is in charge mm-hmm. down the road, what effect will that have on quality, uh, on on the independent spirit of of directors of writers? Because there's always that fear when you get into corporate monopoly. Um, what you know what kind of thumbs going to come down on the scale in a sense, and and you know will that be a benevolent thing or will it be something that's really going to stifle and, and churn out garbage? Sure. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Star Wars. Yes. All right. Let me let me say right off the bat, I wept. <laughs> 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 I mean, so we'll, we'll we'll talk about this teaser. So. Ryan sends me the, the link to it because I'm always, I'm always the last person to know because I'm still writing my name on the cave wall with feces. So <laughs> I'm the last person to know and because and, I, I never go on Facebook. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I must have watched it like 50 times this past weekend. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not at least 20. And gentlemen, I got to tell you, obviously it's just a teaser – so there's all kinds of silly theories already online and so forth, but just the images that were there, and and that opening scene, like like a Wild West showdown, so to speak, um, just the chills running up and down my spine, and and the music, and, and you know just the images they chose. I mean, hearing. Billy Dee Williams laugh as he pilots the Falcon. <laughs> That's when the tears started streaming down my cheeks. And then, of course, the insidious cackle at the end. And I will say this. I have long worshipped at the secular church of J.J. J. Abrams. 
and he has honestly has never let me down in anything I've watched that he's produced, television or film. I am thoroughly excited for this movie, and I'm I have high expectations. So, do you think the Secular what? Church of J.J. Abrams is licensed to perform exorcisms? Because <laughs> it seems to have done so for the secular demon of Ryan Johnson. <laughs> well, murdered. Funny you mentioned that because that's definitely been a lot of the scuttle. But even when I talked to some students in class, like, because I, I I didn't. I didn't think the Last Jedi was terrible. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the Force Awakens far more. Um, but yeah, we'll see. That that's it's all scuttlebutt. Who knows? But well, what did you guys think of the teach? Like, what was, what was your reaction to it, Murd? I'll let you go first because I probably have a very different opinion than uh, than than Chris on, uh, yeah. on 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 what I on what I saw. So go go right oh. ahead. Okay. Uh, well, I didn't. I wasn't quite provoked to tears, Chris. But uh, it's. <laughs> I did get a chill or two up and down the spine. You know, hearing the Leia's theme, seeing Leia and Ray embrace, and knowing that uh, Carrie Fisher did indeed live long enough to film you know, some significant scenes. Yeah. So hopefully we will not have to endure CGI zombie Leia. Um, I liked the looks of uh, BB-8's new robot sidekick. So mm-hmm. now there's once again a pair of droids for this generation of films. Uh, Lando piloting the the Falcon again was uh, a major thrill for me as well, Chris. Um, And just the title. I mean, I'm not fond of titles of the formula, the rise of blank, the fall of blank, the (laughs) war of the blank. But uh, uh, the the, the rise of Skywalker is very promising, promising that uh, perhaps uh, the revelation in The Last Jedi that Rey's parents were nobody might not be... 100 uh, percent truthful that perhaps some of the uh, disappointing creative choices that have been foisted on us in that movie might uh, find reversal uh with uh, abrams back at the helm and uh, i saw what you posted on uh, facebook about disney putting a hiatus on f- uh, further star wars movies after this one ian yeah so that means uh, johnson might not be getting his own series of films to direct uh, anytime soon it doesn't necessarily mean that murda all they said is they're not going to be releasing movies on an annual basis anymore which, which, frankly, I am a hundred percent for. Yes, so um, am I. Uh, because, because it, it just it's overkill. It, it's it's yeah. way too much for the franchise. Yeah, Star Wars is much less special the more of it there is. Absolutely, I agree That's with that. Yeah, true of almost anything. Yeah. Um, so anyway, what I saw there was it was heartening, and uh, it does give me a, a new hope to coin a phrase <laughs> uh, that uh, Episode Nine will be uh, more enjoyable than I thought it would be uh, in the weeks and months following my viewing of the Last Jedi, which I. I probably didn't even like as much as Chris did. There, there were parts of it that uh, did give me that Star Wars thrill that I'm looking for, but as time passes, I remember more and more the stuff I didn't like, which is too bad, and it's as much me as it is anything else. But uh, anyway, this this was the right to, as Chris would say, this this was a tonic for the spirit hmm. uh, to see this <laughs> this trailer, especially uh, I, I watched it uh, this past Sunday after a fairly tiring weekend, and it, uh, it lifted my spirits a bit. And plus seeing that vestige of the Death Star uh, – that excited me as well. I don't know if that's Endor or Yavin, but um, <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't notice a Death Star, so <laughs> I only watched it once, I think. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry you mentioned that, Chris, because I kind of don't want there to be yet another Death Star type. Super oh no, no, no Murd, it, it's 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 wreckage from one of the two that were destroyed. Oh, okay, that, that's that's yeah. acceptable. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my my thing about J.J. Abrams is. I I appreciate J.J. Abrams for the things that he starts. Almost like, almost like what Kylo Ren's uh, line is, you know, like I will finish what you started. That's what everybody else does. 
Um, JJ is a terrific table setter. When oh, he got, absolutely. I agree with that. When, yeah. he, when he came on the loss, you know, he got that started, and then he handed it off to other individuals. It wasn't 100% perfect, but he stepped away. Alias, he started— I loved Alias. Alias, oh. Alias was, was excellent, but he wasn't there for the entire time. He stepped right. away, and he let people take over. Um, Felicity, uh, I, I haven't watched a lot of, but that's probably the one that he had the most involvement with. The Cloverfield franchise— he he made the first Cloverfield movie, and then after that, he let other people play in that surf in in that universe. And here we are with Star Wars, where with Episode Seven, we needed something that was bombastic, and we needed what South Park refers to as member berries, <laughs> which is member Star Wars. I member 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 Chewbacca. Oh yeah, I member. You know. <laughs> And and it, things things that would get you excited to see you know your favorite characters back on the screen, and that's all well and good. I appreciate that for what it is. Um, and I and I saw episode seven like five times in the theaters. Really, I did. Wow. Uh, I I saw it many many times. Uh, at w- one of my favorite theaters in in the in the world. Um, the the last movie that they ever showed before it closed, the Zigfield. The Ziegfeld, um, which is where they would hold the Star Wars, uh, you know, line every every Star Wars movie, like back in the '90s when you would see people. Uh, sorry, I guess it was the '90s, uh, but uh, you know when the episode when the new episodes were taking place and and all that jazz in the '90s and 2000s. Um, that's where that line would take place outside of that theater. Um, it's since shuttered, and the last movie that it showed was Episode Seven. Hmm. Um, I saw it the first time there. And I saw it the last time there because it was it just happened to close while it was still showing it. Um, and then I went to see episode eight, and I freaking loved it. I I loved it more than episode seven because it gave mm. me something different, and it gave me something unique, and it gave me something further away from the member berries. It was trying to separate it from what came before while at the same time honoring and respecting it. Um, and... I'm not in. I'm not really in the camp of them saying that Ray is, you know, the you know the daughter of a nobody is necessarily a bad thing. I I, I I agree with you on that actually. Yeah, because there were way too many people thinking, "Ooh, is it is it Luke's daughter? Like, ooh, is is it someone we've seen before? Ooh, is it Palpatine's daughter? You know, uh, you know, crazy theories being thrown out there. And frankly, Luke w- before Luke knew he was a Skywalker, he was a nobody. And frankly, before Anakin knew he was anybody, he was a nobody. Yep. So the strongest of the Jedi are nobodies that then drive themselves further and stronger and strengthen themselves and learn and evolve and adapt. And I was perfectly okay with Luke's arc in in uh, in The Last Jedi because he was the Yoda of the piece. Yep. You know? and, and he played himself as such. And... I, I felt it work beautifully. And I take the title of this movie, The Rise of Skywalker, specifically Rise of Skywalker, that I would not be surprised if Ray takes the term, liter- uh, takes it as a term or a badge as much as it is a last name. It could also, and it could also be, be become like the name of a new order yes. of Jedi, essentially. Exactly. 
because Maybe she names a spacecraft after Luke. Yeah. It's it's possible. Yeah, but th- think of how many times Luke said that the that it's time for the Jedi to fall. So maybe this is what the new Jedi are. They're Skywalkers. And- well, one and that's I think I I think that's a very plausible theory because you also think about that you know, the Jedi when you go back to the the prequels, the Jedi failed miserably because they failed to detect yes. you know, the serpent in the garden so to speak. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I don't know if they'd really go into this, but their whole celibacy thing was ludicrous. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that, that helped push Anakin down right. the path he went because he wasn't supposed to be allowed to marry and, you know, all that. So I can see where Luke felt, look, this, this – any, any order or organization, it can't go on forever. And, and inevitably, as things start to stagnate and then you get into trouble – um, so th- it's all that's all very. I think it's a very plausible uh, theory. Yeah. Ian. But but bringing JJ back to conclude this is again what worries me the most because he very rarely finishes things. He's very rarely brought on to conclude arcs, and I'm just in, just so on the edge of my seat that it's not just member berries that it's something new that makes me want to see what will come next as opposed to here's all this stuff that happened in Return of the Jedi happening again, or here's all this stuff happening in previous Star Wars movies happening again. Like, I'm, I'm thrilled to see Lando again. Oh, God, yeah. But I just, I worry that they're going to use him too much and take away from the characters that they're trying uh, to build uh, for the next here, generation. And again, th- this is totally out of my rectum guesswork, Yeah, um, which is just part of the fun, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to use him too much. A, I think he'll probably die in the movie. Fair. Um, and two, I think it's really going to center on Ray. Uh, what the hell's her companion's name? Oh, uh, 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 Finn. Finn and, uh, and Poe. Po. Yeah. And if you look at the, the teaser, granted, it were it, these are sn- little glimpses, but mm-hmm. you know they show them together, especially in that scene where they see the remnant of the Death Star cannon. Yep. Um, and you know they have Chewie and, and the droids there too, as like probably as you know supporting characters. But um, you know, I, I I I think you're I think I think your concern there will, will be will be addressed appropriately. I, I hope. I, so. I mean, I honestly do. I really do. I just I I I look to the, to the future on these things, and Star Wars in movie form has very often not done that for me past the original three. Um, even though I even though I enjoyed Rogue One for what it was, and look forward to the Rogue One series that's also going to be on Disney Plus. That's right. Um, but still, that only gave me so much. And Solo for me fell flat for the most part. I I, I posted about that on on Facebook that it. I, I dug Solo actually. It, it's I, I it's dug it's, Solo. A, it's adequate for me. It's <laughs> no, and I and I mean that I mean that in the most respectful way possible. Like it's it's just it's just sort of there, and to me, didn't actually really add too much to the overall uh, mythos of uh, of, uh, of the characters. Uh, uh, general, uh, keep going, gentlemen. I'll be right back. Hold sure. on one second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and Murd, I, I, I forget what you thought about Solo. Uh, we were all fairly enthusiastic about Solo. Actually. Yeah, like it came off to me like I could see which parts were directed by by which director. And which parts had to be salvaged, um, because I know that there were two very different voices on that on that movie, and it was hard to keep that track, which I get. But also, to me, 
I don't know, Han Solo has just always sort of been Han Solo. Like, I didn't really need to know what his last name was. Like, <laughs> that, w- that was not on my list of, of, of reveals that needed to be made for Han. So it's just, I don't know, it was there and I saw it and I'm like, all right, I saw it. It, it, it didn't really, you know, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was just sort of there. So my issue, um, cause I just watched solo again, maybe like a, a maybe a month ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, really fun. The best part of it is, is, um, I'm terrible with names tonight. Uh, <laughs> uh the guy who played young Lando. Oh yes. Uh, uh yeah. Uh, uh, Glover. He yeah. was the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, absolutely. Um, and who's the actress from Game of Thrones? I, oh. Again, I'm, I can't remember anybody's name that I'm like showing my age terribly. <laughs> uh, now I can't think of her name because because of course it's Amelia Clark. Uh, yes, Amelia Clark. Yeah, she, I mean, the, I the, the minute somebody says the, the the minute that that anybody says the words, can you remember that name? Everybody forgets yeah. what name you're talking about. So I I, I totally and I always enjoy anything she does. Sure. Um, my you know what my my it's it's a quibble with Solo because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, his voice is wrong. Mm. Like by the end, I believe the posture, the 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 you know the charm, the swashbuckling was all there. Yeah. But Harrison Ford has a deep voice mm-hmm. and and like a powerful like, for lack of a better term, like manly voice. That's very much lack of a better term. Um, this guy's voice is nasal and pinched, and like that's the only. It, it's it's a minor quibble. Um, but that was just the one thing where it's like, ah, eh, that doesn't work. Like that's, you know, they, I'm sure they could have figured something out where that would have been a more seamless transition, but sure. be that as it may, that was, it, it was, it, it was fun. But, yeah. um, I, I understand your concerns, you know, going forward, Ian, um, yeah. but we're just gonna have to wait and see, but you made a good point about JJ Amers cause you're right. He, he's the, he's the, he lays the groundwork. He's, he's the visionary. Right. Um, but I, I'm, I'm pulling for it. And I, I really now. How do you feel about Palpatine apparently coming back in this movie? And that's that's another one of my major worries there because that <laughs> is that is member Berry out the wazoo. I mean that is that is completely pulling from the villain bank. Like, hey, this guy this guy was scary, and not only was this guy scary, this sca- this guy was scary for six movies. So <laughs> so let's 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 bring him back and make him scary for number nine. And I I don't know I I. They, they they just better do it right. That's it. I'm 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 a hundred percent in the camp, and I'm sure as hell going to be there opening day. And I'm I I have very high hopes that this is going to wow me. And I, if it doesn't, then I'm sure you'll all hear about it because I'll, I'll definitely be talking about it for a while. Oh, of course. <laughs> I look forward to that. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. December 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on your, episode. That's going to be. Put it on so. your calendars, people. Yep. Uh, Murd, you had some travels recently, didn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just this past weekend, I uh, went on an extended trip uh, back to uh, one of my alma maters, uh, Bowling Green, Ohio, home of Bowling Green State University, where I earned my Master of Arts degree in Popular Culture Studies. And I was invited back there by one of my old friends from the faculty there, Dr. Chuck Coletta, who's also been a CGS listener for a long time. Uh, he is in the pop culture faculty, and he and another guy from the pop culture faculty named um, uh, Matt Donahue, uh, both of whom I knew at Bowling Green, um, they put together a uh, conference on the subject of Batman in honor of his uh, 80th anniversary. Nice. Wow. 
And uh, that uh, they had a tremendous turnout for it. Chuck was just thrilled with the number of uh, responses that they got. Um, so it, it, it drew in scholars from miles around and um, also a number of people who just came to observe, uh, such as yours truly. I didn't have anything to present, but I just went to hang out. Um, there were a total of 75 different academic papers uh, being presented. Well, well, presentations anyway. Not not all of them had papers attached to them. Not all of them were actually you know, academic in perspective. Um, but uh, there are a variety of different uh, views uh, on the Batman, a variety of different talks given, um, covering a whole bunch of different aspects of the character and his supporting cast, his world, his ideology, etc. Um, and this was spread out over two days of uh, of, of, of bat content like uh, day one was this past friday the 12th and uh, there were this is from 9 a.m to 7 p.m with an hour break for lunch and then saturday was almost as long again and uh, there, there were different uh, batteries of uh, of bat lectures going on simultaneously concurrently in two different rooms in the uh, jerome library on campus um i didn't realize that i'd had to choose at, at certain times between which uh, uh, presentations I could view because there were a lot of good ones from which to choose. Now, as I said, there's like 75 of them, so I'm not going to like recite <laughs> all of them to you or to the listeners. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the the very first one got things off to a great start. It was called "How to Horrify Batman," um, and it's it's basically about uh, the elements of horror that sometimes appear in Batman stories and how difficult it is to hybridize. Uh, true, pure horror as defined by a particular scholarly writer on the horror genre, a person by the name of Carroll, whose uh, 1990 book is considered uh, seminal on the subject. Uh, the way that the way Carroll defines horror just doesn't make it very compatible with the superhero genre huh. because superheroes are all about uh, the resistance of fear and they're fairly conservative of the status quo. So uh, the kind of uh, destructive, uh, visceral uh, fear, disgust reactions, you know, the, the kind of death and carnage uh, that is required for uh, true horror. Just uh, it either doesn't happen or it's neutralized by the steadfastness of the hero figures. And he runs down a little bit of the uh, uh, the rogues gallery as well in talking about this. But his basic point was that uh, it's uh, the superheroes and horror are all but immiscible. So even though Batman has always been quite horror adjacent, more so than most other superheroes you could name, um, he's it, it is still it, horror doesn't really stick to him as much as it might. Sure. So that 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 was just the first uh, the first uh, salvo in this day. Huh. There were a lot of different presentations. There were <laughs> over a hundred people in attendance. Um, people came from. There, there were two people who came from uh, uh, Banaras Hindu University in India to present at this thing. Wow. And I felt kind of bad because uh, their accents were very thick and they spoke very fast with no intonation. So mm. I'm afraid I had almost no idea what points they were trying to make. Nah. But I'm glad that they made the trip. Uh, a couple of other people who came in from Germany and gave presentations. I had a little wow. easier time understanding them. Um, the, the winner for uh, Farthest Traveled uh, was a, a guy who came in from Tokyo. Oh, my God. Now, and uh, he, uh, well, like our friend Alan Bowman, hi, Al, uh, he's American-born, <laughs> but he lives in Tokyo. His Got name it. is Tim Young, and he is one of several podcasters that were in attendance at this thing. Hmm. Uh, yes, uh, Tim Young, uh, he co-hosted a, a podcast called Deconstructing Comics, which has been running for almost as long as ours, actually. It got started in late 2005. Oh, wow. It was to March 2005, which is the, the date of birth for Comic Geek Speak. 
And he's also the co-host of a podcast called To the Bat Poles, a research project into Batman 66. Hmm. Where they, uh, among other things, one of their episode formats is to take uh, one of the teleplays uh, for the old uh, Adam West Batman series and uh, just kind of read it aloud and then pick it apart as they go. Uh, they were able to get the, their hands on these things because they're actually in the permanent collection of, of all places, the University of Wyoming at Laramie. And they were able to you know, have, get access to those and make copies, and uh, they, they actually scanned them and put them online so that uh, the listeners can read along. And it's, it's kind of interesting to pick apart these, uh, you know, the, these, ep- these episodes that are so well-known and so frequently rewatched to, to longtime Batman geeks, uh, just to see what they were like in print and uh, how they changed in uh, their realization on film. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, you can find them at uh, to the batpoles.libsyn.com if you're interested. Holy uh, Wyoming, Batman! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, rapier with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there are a few other podcasters were there too. Most of them uh, part of the uh, bat the Batman Universe family of podcasts, uh, which can be a. Uh, uh, Explored further at thebatmanuniverse.net. Uh, there was one called Robin Everybody Loves the Drake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd get a kick out of that one, Ian. It's basically a Tim Drake fan cast that also talks about other Robins. Sold. Yeah. Uh, there was actually a lot of, uh, of play given to the various uh, members of the Bat family, not just Batman himself. A lot of uh, Robin panels, uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, feminist scholars talking about the various Bat Girls or Oracle, but you know Barbara Gordon was a popular topic. Uh, either as Oracle or as Bat Girl, there was uh, a little bit of talk about uh, Bat Woman. A um, lot of emphasis on Batman's love life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, there were a few mentions of uh, the uh, abortive Bat wedding. Uh, a lot of focus on Batman films. Hmm. Uh, one, um, Matt would have been interested in this. Uh, one of the Saturday uh, topics was uh, the world's greatest detective at the movies, colon, recontextualizing and decontextualizing Batman's investigative techniques or lack thereof in the movies. <laughs> and that's like most of the talks given. The, <laughs> the, these talks were mostly 15 minutes each, so uh-huh. people had to pare down their thoughts uh, to you know, whittle them down to a very, very, very fine point. But uh, what this guy basically did was watch all the Batman movies and uh, count, just like a measure, of, uh, based on three uh, main categories of detective work, how much actual detective or police work was done by the Dark Knight in his various film appearances. And do you want to know which Batman movie had the most legitimate uh, police work or investigative techniques in it? Do tell. The 1966 Adam West movie. (laughs) (laughs) Because the dynamic duo were officially deputized by the police. Wow. (laughs) Various members of the Nolan trilogy came in second. I would have never guessed. I can't can't wait for – we will eventually do a retro movie review of that film because there's so much to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. True enough. You just – some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or a shark for that matter so <laughs> don't leave home without your and with your shark without your shark repellent yep and make sure it's clearly labeled mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah there's just a bunch of different uh different well, like i said 75 different uh possible things to listen to uh there were a lot of talks on the joker 
of, of all the Batman villains, he's the, by far the one that's most frequently analyzed in scholarly terms. Sure. Um, there was one interesting uh, – one, one little series of talks that was of interest uh, – um, one guy uh, analyzed – he spent his entire 15 minutes just talking about the two-page uh, Batman origin recap done by Alex Ross um, for that uh, little mini-series of, uh, of uh, superhero origins he did for those tabloid-sized uh, specials that he, he uh, written by Paul Dini. Oh, yes, of course. Okay. So the two-page origin sequence from Batman War on Crime. And he, he spent 15 minutes just picking that apart in terms of various modes of modernism, like modernism, postmodernism, and metamodernism. How Alex Ross took, uh, you know, sampled uh, quotations from various different moments in the multifarious history of Batman, the different uh, iterations of Batman's past, and managed to put them all together and... Uh, and he spent time talking, analyzing the the art as well, uh, just uh, the the visual elements, not just fetishizing the text, which, as he rightly points out, is what too many scholars tend to do when they're talking about comic characters. This guy gave some attention to the art. And right after that, um, Batarang X marks the spot. <laughs> Batman comics and Cold War imperatives in the 1950s. Oh, wow. This was a guy from Ohio State. Um, but... As, as was often the case here, the title promised a little more than was delivered. And again, the time limit had something to do with that. Mm. But he, he focused almost exclusively on uh, not so much Cold War imperatives as uh, attempts by creators to include pro-science and technology messages into 1950s bat comics. So not much in the way of commie smashing, <laughs> which is what I would have expected. In Soviet Russia, Batarang throws you. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, you're on fire tonight, man. Wow. <laughs> always, sir. Always. <laughs> Remember, this sounds like it was a fascinating uh, weekend. I'm, I'm granted. Was, so we kind of going from one quick seminar to the next, basically? or um, It was basically just going back and forth between the two rooms, uh, okay. which, were, which are right next to each other. So that was easy to do. Um, I, I got a chance to hang out uh, for a good bit of that time. I, I saw Chuck, for one thing, who was, as I said, he, he was all over the place keeping things organized, doing everything from validating people's parking to uh, keeping the schedule running uh, swiftly. And uh, and we, we inevitably fell behind a couple of times because some of the presentations were just a little longer than they ought to have been. And uh, from and also refilling like the chip basket over on the, the, the snack table. He, he was... He was doing it all. He, he and uh, Matt Donahue, uh, not Donahue. So they uh, they didn't actually present anything, but they, they were kept busy enough just making sure all the other presentations went smoothly. But we we, we all gave them as much thanks and applause as we could for just putting this whole thing together. And uh, the response was, well, m m beyond uh, Chuck's wildest dreams. Um, I, w I was able to hang out with my old uh, faculty friend, uh, J Jeremy Wallach, who was a member of my uh, thesis uh, committee. You know, he, uh, he read my crisis thesis, poor guy, and he's still friends with me after all this time. He and his wife, Esther, are both on the Bowling Green pop culture faculty and got to hang out and uh, learn some new things about uh, Batman along with me. Um, and there were some special celebrity guests on hand, too, because two of the keynote speakers – uh, well, one of them was another member of the Bowling Green faculty, Dr. Jeff Brown, who uh, recently published a book about Batman called Batman and the Multiplicity of Identity. I've actually heard of that book. Okay, go figure. Yep. Uh, don't don't try seeking out a copy just yet because it's only out in hardcover. It costs like $120. <laughs> it's being marketed to school libraries at this point. So wait until next year when it's due to come out in paperback. Understood. And he gave a talk about uh, – let, let me see if I can find the title of his talk. Uh, yeah, Batman and Sons, Family and Patriarchal Authority. Nice. Yeah, so he, um, 
He's he's a very popular uh, lecturer at Bowling Green. Very very charismatic guy. Good at breaking down academic concepts to to undergrad terms. And he gave a little uh, PowerPoint. Show. A lot of people had visual aids, little PowerPoint presentations. He's always been very good at. Uh, illustrating his talks that way um, by showing little slides of uh, the consumer goods that uh, underline his point. Uh, so he talked about uh, Batman as father figure and um, well, what uh, patriarchy and fatherhood tends to mean to superheroes in general mm. and uh, especially to Batman. And also about you know the, the downside of that, the uh, virtual absence of the mother figure or her presence as like a toxic figure. In uh, the male superheroes' lives, or even in female superheroes' lives, he mentioned Lady Shiva as toxic mother to Cassandra Cain. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of love for Cassandra too. There were a few uh, presenters who identified her as uh, one of their favorite characters in all of comics. I'm happy to hear it because uh, her time as as uh, as Batgirl was 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 very very well done, honestly. Mm. And then she had to be turned into a villain. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she turned back eventually. <laughs> right, right. She's she's orphaned now in the current uh, continuity. Exactly, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, basically, she stepped aside from being Batgirl so that another Cassandra could take her place. And then, uh, no, my, my mistake, Stephanie. Uh, I always, right. For some reason, I always think her name is Cassandra in my head until I say it out loud. And I'm like, no, it's Stephanie, silly. Well, that's, that's only because there's like, there are three different people with names that sound a lot like Cassie <laughs> in Young Justice. Exactly, so. yeah. I lose track. Yeah, Stephanie Stephanie Brown took, her, took, took the place as Batgirl for a while. And uh, and and Cassie went off to the side, and then she came back as uh, as orphan, and uh, it's still around today. And uh, they actually just introduced her into Young Justice season three, which I'll wax uh, episo- uh, poetic on uh, in, in a few mom- few moments. So okay, let me just motor through this here to give you a chance to to do that. Oh no no no! Please please take your time. And by the way, uh, to the listeners out there, uh, Sir Eberly had to step aside uh, for uh, parental reasons, and hopefully he'll be back before the the episode concludes. So if you're wondering why you haven't heard him say outstanding in a while, that's why. <laughs> it was, I knew it was probably something. <laughs> anyway, do continue, sir. Uh, we can rest assured that Cassie Kane was made a villain as a result of an in, uh, editorial imperative. Oh, so definitely. Yeah. Don't like, throw brickbats at the writer in that case. That no, not- no. Yeah. Well, that's the same reason how, how you know Dick Grayson almost died like four times because Dan DiDio really wanted them dead. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> or at least he liked uh, teasing the fans uh, about wanting him dead. Yeah, right. <laughs> and got people to keep listening to him. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, uh, a couple of, oh, well, uh, you know, the, the thing that I was about to, uh, I was about to mention a couple of keynote speakers. I think I'll save that for a couple of minutes from now mm-hmm. until Chris gets back. He might appreciate hearing this. Um, but uh, uh, let's see. Uh, there was a little brace of panels about Batman and popular music, hmm. where we had uh, Bill Shirk, the retired uh, sound archivist uh, for the uh, Ray and Pat Brown uh, Library of Popular Culture at Bowling Green. Wow. Which is uh, one of uh, very few collegiate libraries of its kind in the country. Uh, there were, uh, Chuck actually gave some special tours of the place uh, over uh, lunch break. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know if he actually gave the tours. He just kind of facilitated them, and the library staff took care of the rest. <laughs> but anyway, he came down and uh, played uh, a few different versions of the Batman theme, both Neil Hefty's and Nelson Riddle's, and uh, a surf rock song uh, called Batman. And... Uh, <laughs> I was disappointed he didn't get to uh, Jan and Dean meet the Batman, but uh, he was already well over his time <laughs> the time he was finished. I don't know if I've ever heard that one. Uh, yeah, it's one of the things mentioned in uh, Hero A Go-Go, 
at ah, uh, tomorrow's okay. publication about uh, the camp age of uh, comics in the mid to late 60s. Oh, boy. Um, now, we also had a presenter uh, from uh, – his name was Carlos Villegas Castaneda. And he uh, talked about Batman in music from Latin America. Apparently in uh, Mexico and uh, Colombia especially, um, the Batman TV show with Adam West uh, enjoyed about 10 years longer run in, in reruns on TV than it did here in the States where it was pretty much fizzled after like three years. Oh, wow. And it uh, spawned uh, – there was one particular uh, cumbia song. Uh, that's a genre of uh, rhythmic pop music from Colombia mm-hmm. called uh, Abuelita de Batman, which <laughs> translates to Batman's grandma. <laughs> And that was the club and party song in Latin America for a while there. Enough so uh, popular enough that it actually spawned uh, like a subgenre of uh, bat cumbia, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> imitating it for a few years. Who is Bruce Wayne's grandma? Do you know? Do you happen to know that? Has it come up in the comics? I uh, yeah. Well, again, the absent mother syndrome. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of. James Robinson introduced uh, an ancestor of Bruce called Mad Jack Wayne. Mm. But I don't remember if he was supposed to be the grandfather or the great-grandfather. Yeah, I, I'm trying to look it up now, and I don't I don't know if they've actually done it. I, I'm sure they probably have in passing, but uh, I think was I think Patrick Wayne might have been Thomas Wayne's uh, father, so I guess that's one of the grandfathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't I don't know. I don't know what the mother was off the top of my head, but I will – if I find it, I will add it to this conversation. <laughs> His grandparents on the Kane side might have been talked about in the Batwoman series mm. at some point. Point. But I do not know for sure. Um, a panel of a – that would have been of a special interest uh, to, to Pants – I'm kind of sorry he was not with us for this episode because of that. Um, one of the first things that was uh, done on Saturday morning was um, a man who builds 1966 Batmobile replicas for a living. I'm talking full-scale, functional Batmobiles, you know, built on custom-made 1955 Lincoln Futura chassis. Wow. This guy's not messing around. Uh, he's got his own little uh, company that does nothing but this. It's called Fiberglass Freaks. They're based in Logansport, Indiana. Uh, they've built 27 such Batmobiles uh, so far. Um, most you know, Each one a little different from the one before, but uh, depending on how many different uh, little bat bells and bat whistles uh, the buyer wants, they can cost up to like $260,000 for these custom builds. And... Uh, they, they, they basically just do it as a hobby, but they are making a living doing it as well. Um, and uh, they're apparently officially licensed by DC to do this and have huh. been for about nine years now. Wow. It started out as just a hobby, and uh, apparently DC sent somebody in there incognito to pose as an interested client. And uh, that person was liked what he saw enough that uh, he decided to offer uh, the uh, official license uh, to Fiberglass Freaks to continue doing this. All right. Well, hey, I mean, they they got the seal of approval, so good for them. Yeah, and then he, he he gave a little slideshow of the whole process that they go through to to build one of these things. Uh, it's a uh, one thousand dollars extra uh, for um, like a three D printed uh, fiberglass uh, Bluetooth ready bat phone for the dash. <laughs> and they they make it they take pride in the fact that every single little blinking switch button and dial on the dashboard actually does something. 
So wow. let's one up on the original uh, model. <laughs> and there, there's even like a, a propane, like a very large propane torch in the back to act as the bat flames. But of course, because you got to use propane and propane accessories. <laughs> accessories. <That's laughs> you dang right. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> so yeah, that that was one of the most in, well, the most fun lectures. Anyway, it wasn't exactly very academic in nature, um, but like, many different perspectives. Not all of them necessarily scholarly. There were a few, as I said, podcasters present, and um, they mostly just did the kind of thing that we do. You know, just sit around and uh, and uh, share you know, personal reminiscences and taste judgments about various bat products. Uh, there were three people, including the uh, everybody loves the Drake guy. They just mm-hmm. sat and ran down all the different Batman movies that they had seen. <laughs> Well, and then he and then he waxed po- poetic on uh, his favorite Drake's cakes. <laughs> that would have been, yeah, that that would not have been inappropriate, I don't think. <laughs> See, that's that's popular culture studies for you. I mean, they, they, they eschew elitism of all kinds, so they're certainly not going to shun a more uh, grassroots perspective on the character. In amongst all the rarefied, hoity-toity, like Aristotelian perspectives, for example. <laughs> I mean that literally because there was one guy who just talked about uh, how you can use uh, the uh, Aristotelian definitions of tragedy and comedy as laid forth in the poetics to analyze different Batman stories and classify them as tragedy or comedy. If you're wondering, Hush is a tragedy and uh, The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller was a comedy. I I would have never guessed. Or uh, Dark Knight Strikes Back, excuse me. Dark Knight Strikes Back, yes, definitely. That that much that much I could I could tell. <laughs> Oh boy! So, uh, out, of, out of everything you learned this weekend, what was what do you think was the uh, was the most intriguing or interesting for you? Uh, well, one fact that I have earmarked here is that uh, well, just to, to draw a, a thin, connect, tenuous connection between uh, Batman and Bowling Green, mm-hmm. Dick Sprang comes from Fremont, Ohio, which hmm. is like twenty miles to the east. Oh wow! Huh. Yeah, that was something that uh, Chuck himself told me. So even if he didn't uh, deliver a paper, he uh, he did tell me something interesting there. Well, how about that? Uh, as far as one single fact that I found most interesting, I, I don't know. I, I actually did take quite a few notes, Ian, knowing all mm-hmm. along that I wouldn't be able to read them all on the air. Sure. But uh, just for my own edification, you know, I'm going to hold on to these notes. I'm going to put them inside my conference program and store them. Very good. Archive them so I can dig them out years into the future and uh, remember having learned all these things once and then immediately forgetting them. <laughs> Which is usually what happens to me when I go to talks. I'm like, wow, that was that was fascinating. I, I'm going to have to research that later. And then, of course, I go home and and I turn squirrel and do something entirely different. <laughs> yes, that was fascinating while it lasted. Exactly. <laughs> Very good, man. Very good. Sounds like sounds like it was a really fun weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was every bit as much fun as going to a comic convention, just minus all the stressful crowds and shopping and stuff. It was just boiled it down to the the fun parts that involved sitting in a room and listening to people talk. <laughs> That's what this was. And you know what? There were even celebrity guests. Um, because that was what I was about to talk about. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll, I think Chris is just going to have to listen to this when he gets back. That's fine. Parenting. Uh, but the two Batman professionals that were on hand uh, mm-hmm. were uh, the former DC writers Dan Mishkin, uh, who is a Bowling Green pop culture grad student at one time, like me, mm-hmm. um, 
Uh, he he's a, the co-creator of Blue Devil and Amethyst Princess of Gemworld. Nice. Uh, his, uh, collaborator Gary Cohn was uh, also a Bowling Green uh, uh, pop culture grad student. Uh, he he said that people always assume that uh, they met at Bowling Green or they met at DC, but in actuality, they met at Cohn's bar mitzvah. <laughs> Shabbat shalom. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the origin of that partnership. Uh, his talk was called Growing Gotham, Making Metropolis, Building the DC Universe. So the first part of the talk was pretty similar to my Bowling Green thesis, actually, talking about uh, the origins of shared universe storytelling in comics. Um, at some point, it just kind of degenerated into like a, a visual resume of, of the stuff that he personally wrote at DC. Um, but I, I get the feeling that... Uh, these, uh, him and the other uh, pro speaker that showed up, uh, I think they, they kind of just have like a set script for these uh, for what events that they attend. And I, it's probably not much different uh, at a convention than it is at an academic symposium. Sure. And they're not going to rewrite the script too much just because this is happening uh, on a college campus as opposed to at a, a, a comic con. Right. Um, but, yeah, he talked about uh, all the different comics that he wrote for DC in the 80s, including a couple of Batman stories. And uh, one Batman story that he never actually uh, got to print, um, it, was going to, it, was, it was going to deal with uh, race issues in Gotham City. Um, it uh, depicts post uh, – well, well, riots that occurred in Gotham after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. It was going to involve uh, blues musicians in some way. Oh, boy. And it was going to be called Batman Black and Blue. Huh. And was it was it ever – was art ever put to it? Is it sitting in a drawer somewhere or is it just a script that was just never used? I, I don't think it ever got that far. There was another story that uh, was put into a drawer someplace after he submitted it uh -huh. that did finally see print. In uh, some Batman, like, 80-page spectacular <laughs> clearance one-shot thing <laughs> about, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. Okay. And uh, the so, but, uh, and, and Michigan wasn't even, like, aware of that happening until somebody, like, uh, contacted – like, some fan contacted him and said, hey, they're going to use this story of yours. And I guess eventually he got the royalty check. Oh. Uh, there he did go. say that any bitterness he may feel toward DC for any treatment he may have received is always it, – it's always allayed by the arrival of those royalty checks, which does happen from time to time. But of course, yeah. Yes. He mentioned that uh, Blue Devil is supposed to be appearing in an upcoming uh, live-action Swamp Thing series. Yes, I think I heard about that. That 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 could be that could be interesting, and and he's he showed back up in the comics recently as well. I know uh, as as or at least I've seen him around. Uh, Heroes in Crisis, I think I think I saw Red Devil, and I'm pretty sure Blue Devil was on a page or two. So well, he's so. definitely around. Yep, if uh, Red Devil was one of those that uh, uh, snuffed it at uh, yeah. at, uh, at 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 the compound. It is it Heroes is highly possible. Yeah. Yeah, then Blue Devil would probably uh, be sniffing around for answers too, just as surely as Ollie was about uh, Roy and so forth. Yep, and and, and Amethyst is playing uh, heavily into uh, uh, the Young Justice series right now. All right, so yeah, he's he's probably seeing uh, quite a few uh, Warner, AT and T <laughs> checks right now. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm not. Does he get royalties for comics as uh, along with uh, along with TV or or? Just uh, or just using uh, in in media. 
I'm not going to pretend to know how it works. Okay. But, uh, yeah. But he, he does get checks from time to time. All right. Fair enough. Fair whatever enough. Whatever reason. Yep. Um, and the other speaker, the other pro guest uh, was uh, Mike W. Barr. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Yep, so he's you know the creator of uh, the Outsiders team, mm-hmm. creator of the Maze Agency, and he too confined himself mainly to talking about his own career. But uh, he he didn't assign like a, a grandiose title. To him. It was pretty obvious from go that he was just going to talk about his own time writing Batman, and really, what else would we expect Mike W. Barr to talk about? Sure, yeah, and and uh, that the uh, good timing as well, since there's a new Outsider series premiering soon at DC. So that's. Uh, you know, my, it, it feels like all of these uh, guys are, are their characters are still relevant today. Are you back I have returned. Piece? You are good, good. Because mm. uh, I was just uh, telling Ian about uh, the speech that uh, Mike W. Barr gave at the Batman conference. Oh wow! And uh, a couple of uh, bullet points I made note of because I found them interesting enough to relay on. Uh, he was both writer and editor of Batman and the Outsiders. Uh, at first, uh, which was somewhat common practice at DC in the mid-80s. Roy Thomas both wrote and edited a few things also. Um, but he was fired from his position as editor. He was allowed to keep writing it, but hmm. uh, he was uh, kind of – he had the editor chair taken away from him because – as he – well, in his words. Uh, he, he says that, that the reason for this is because he spoke up in defense of Bill Finger as co-creator of Batman. Really? Wow. And he was fired for that? <sighs> so he says. Yeah. So he says. All right. It wouldn't surprise I mean, we, me if it was the case. Yeah, I mean, you never know the full story when it comes to political issues like that, office politics and so forth, but it wouldn't surprise me either. Don't get me started. That's a huge pet peeve of mine, what happened with Bill Finger. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't agree with the fact that they say with now with Bill Finger, which I still think is, is inappropriate. It should be Bill Finger with Bob Kane as far as I'm concerned. I but, agree with you entirely. Um, but at least his name's up there in, in some capacity. All of that, that, that's, there's a, there's not much that burns my bridges when it comes to comics these days, but that, that still does that despicable. Yep. And, uh, Mike W. Barr feels the same way that you do, Chris, but, uh, uh, he, as he, he, he says, he thinks he believes that, uh, he, uh, spoke up for Bill and, uh, paid the price for it in the mid eighties. So more's the pity. DC just wasn't quite ready to own up at that time. So it goes. So that's just a few of the uh, many interesting talks that were given um, in the course of the weekend. I wasn't even able to stay for all of them. I I, I needed to get home um, by uh, the end of the night Saturday because uh, I am uh, dog-sitting for my parents this week. (laughs) And uh, the 13-year-old Golden Retriever's bladder is uh, not patient. (laughs) I can understand that. Yes, and it's about an eight-hour drive, uh, including stops for food and fuel, to get uh, back to my home area from Bowling Green. So I had to skip the last couple of hours' worth of talks, but (laughs) uh, to my regret. But it was great uh, seeing uh, both Chuck and uh, uh, Jeremy and Esther and uh, my old. Uh, all my old friends there, and also uh, meeting a few new faces and a few bat fans that I hadn't known before. And uh, so I, I give um, yet more thanks to Chuck Coletta for, uh, uh, for for bringing this all together for, uh, and uh, for going out of his way to invite me along. So uh, I'm hoping maybe if, if, if this is done again in the future and uh, you know Chuck tells me that he's not going to be able to get away with doing another superhero-themed conference <laughs> at Bowling Green. It, 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 
before a certain number of years have passed. Mm-hmm. As you know, there's popular culture is broad, and uh, these yeah, the, the college likes to diversify the topics. Sure. So that there's going to be something about uh, romance novels fairly soon up there. Oh. To give you an example, and uh, something involving television, although the uh, precise. Uh, uh, bannered theme or topic of that uh, concert to, to, to narrow it down from TV has not yet been announced. All right, but yep, lots of uh, yeah. That, that, that's uh, that, that's life at uh, the Bowling Green Department of Popular Culture, a tiny little division of the School of Cultural and Critical Studies. Very cool. It was great getting back there and uh, seeing the campus and how things have changed over the past thirteen years since I was last there. Bowling Green has a a uh, comic book store for the first time in. I don't know. That's the last one closed down just before I got to campus in the fall of 2004. It's <laughs> huh. my luck. But then two years ago now, so it was apparently without a pop culture. How do I keep saying pop culture? Comic book store for 12 years until in, in like 2016, they finally got a new one. It's called Cameron's Comics right there on the main street of town. All right. And uh, so that's that was a pleasant discovery. Well, good luck to Cameron. I don't know about how wise it is to open a comic book store now, but uh... – <laughs> I wish him all the best. Yeah, he's survived his first two full years of yeah. business, apparently. Yep. One one oh. name you missed while you were gone, Chris, is uh, Dan, yeah. Dan 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 Mishkin was uh, was there uh, oh. at, at the uh, at the conference. So waxing poetic about his uh, his his uh, his time at DC. Oh, Mert, I, I'm envious. Sounds like it was a wonderful experience. Yep. Yeah, it, it was certainly fun. And as I told Ian also while you were uh, off mic, I, uh, I took a whole sheaf of notes here, which are just going to go directly into ar- into the archives and never be heard or read by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> the the, Mur- the Murdo archives. Yep, strictly for my own edification. I know there, there's not time to delve into the different – especially those that uh, d- drew on uh, st- scholarly works – uh, for, for their readings of Batman and his contemporaries. Um, like the, there was one of my favorites, um, uh, uh, Esther Clinton, uh, who was the, the, uh, the, the wife and fellow faculty member of, of my old committee member, Jeremy, and I went to see one uh, about the Joker, like a person from uh, – uh, which university was he from? Uh, yeah, Eastern Michigan University. He uh, read the Joker using uh, the concept of the carnivalesque as put forth by uh, scholar Mikhail Bakhtin. And then the Joker certainly does uh, put one in mind of carnivals and rites of reversals and the Feast of Fools and whatnot. Um, but that's uh, just that, 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 that's an example of something I'm not going to get into in too much detail here on this podcast. <laughs> well, well, sir, speaking of the Murdo archives and your wealth of knowledge. Uh. And away we go. Uh. So glad I got back to this. It is time once again for Mud of the Murd. That's right. It is time to wax those uh, those uh, those steering wheels and let's let's, let's get the uh, let's get the brain pumping here as uh, yet another individual tries to muddle the Murd. You ready, Murd? I think I am. All right. Well, uh, before we get into the submission by uh, Dan Papatopoulos, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that sounds like it's about right. Uh, what will Dan be fighting for today? Uh, well, it's um, it's going to be a, uh, 
just a minute here. I need to dig it out. Sure. <laughs> well, while, while you do dig it out, I will explain to once again. It's to Doug. The, oh, Doug, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead and Doug. Um, okay, it's um, it is a piece of original art uh, by uh, Franco Aureliani of Art and Franco. Uh, it's a uh, Han Solo sketch. Nice. Provided oh. to us by our uh, mysterious art donor. Um, and yeah, it's, I had to dig it out because I've, I've I went to the CGS studio a little while ago and uh, retrieved a small pile of uh, potential prizes, <laughs> and uh, they're here in a whole amidst a whole bunch of other junk here at the Christmas barn in the uh, our office. Things tend to accumulate on top of other things. Very good, uh, rather prolifically. <laughs> okay, well, um, a good timing considering the uh, the release of the trailer. Right. Yep. Well, uh, once again, a reminder that if you would like to submit your Muddle the Murd suggestions, do so to comicgeekspeak at gmail.com with Muddle the Murd in the title. And make sure one is an independent, one is a Marvel, and one is a DC. One has to be from uh, 1970 to 2000. One has to be post-2000. And the other one has to be uh, pre-1970. That's right. All righty. And don't forget to include answers for your three questions, because otherwise, how will I know whether I've been muddled? Exactly. <laughs> well, luckily, Dan has provided both. So let's go ahead and get started here. Uh, first off, a message to me, actually. Uh, first, may I say to the newest cast member, welcome, Ian. I'm very glad you have joined the cast, and I'm already noticing a new dynamic develop amongst the three amigos of the recent episodes. I love the on-air chemistry that is developing. Thank you for joining the family and doing your part to keep this podcast going. Here, here. You know that goes double for us again. Here, here to that and to you, Dan, for the kind words. To Murd, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet you in in your last trip to C2E2 in 2017, which I was... The, uh, that 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 was that that was the one that I was at as well, correct? I, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, I I don't think you were at that one. I know that uh, you and Chris and I went out to get some hot dogs. Yes. Uh, well, we might have done that more than once. I mean, yeah. Were they? Yeah. No, actually, that that was the one where my where my at the time roommate Glennis uh, joined me. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. Yep. Yes, you were there. There we go. Yep. Uh, that was when we also that was when you received your uh, your key to uh, to the prison. Yes, yes, which is uh, within arm's reach here. It was uh, provided to me by uh, uh, by Mike Atchison, the Atch Attack. Yep, yep, and uh, he sent me some kind words on uh, on joining the podcast as well recently. So, uh, so here's to you, Mike. But uh, uh, Dan mentions he was fortunate enough to meet you uh, in your last trip to C2E2 in 2017. I'm the guy in the right in the attached photo. Uh, I still fondly recall talking to you about family legacies as we spoke of the Christmas barn and the five-generation hobby farm on which I live. Ah, very cool. I said it then and I'll say it again. Podcasts like Comic Key Speak are the best thing that has ever happened to the hours I spend in the evenings and on weekends doing chores on the farm. I'll, I'll also add in, it's the best thing that ever happened to me taking the subway. <laughs> Thank you for filling those hours with broadcast fellowship about a shared interest and hobby, comics. And now on to the questions. And I should point out we are honored to facilitate the vital task of agriculture. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. All right. We begin with DC pre-1970. In Action Comics number 70 – no, my mistake. In Action Comics number 7, 
So that's very pre-1970. You said it. Superman tries to help the owner of a circus which has fallen victim to mob pressure by joining said circus. I'm not going to ask what job he performs at that circus because that is obvious. Of course, he takes a job as a strong man. Instead, I'm going to ask you if you can name that circus. Hmm. Um, the answer is almost certainly that I cannot. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'm going to avoid saying, like, uh, uh, Haley or Hills, because those are uh, pretty well-established uh, DC circuses from later. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, boy. Oh, uh, Grambling Brothers Circus. <laughs> Chris, any, any guess? Oh, uh, this is Action Comics 7, you said? Action Comics 7. Okay. Uh, huh. The, the, the Smile Circus. <laughs> I, I believe, Ridiculous. actually, I believe I can fly. It's the Jordan Circus. Oh. <laughs> God, <laughs> Ian. What? This is like a wow. Hey, come on. It's too easy. It's Superman and Michael Jordan. I mean, come on. It, 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 they knew, they somehow knew back in the 30s that. That Space Jam was going to be a thing. Exactly. That Space Jam and Michael Jordan were going to exist. So, Ian, I'm, boom. I'm in awe of this aspect of your personality that I'm discovering in this episode. <laughs> Uh, the, 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 the the straight man, the, the deadpan of these just – oh, it's magnificently god-awful. Wow. When, I, when I'm not laughing at my own jokes, I could manage to be the straight man. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Question two. Independent. Post-2000. This independent is specifically from IDW. In Larry Hama's G.I. Joe, A Real American oh. Hero, number 214 – the original Snake Eyes dies valiantly, defeating Serpentor, or Serpentor. Almost four publishing years later, so far this death has actually stuck. However, wow. Snake Eyes still lives on as another character has taken the mantle of that of that character after he similarly has his face scarred beyond recognition and loses his voice. Give the real name of the new Snake Eyes. Uh, uh, yeah, I cannot. Um, uh, Danny DeVito. <laughs> what? He was also in Space Jam. <laughs> uh, uh, may I make a guess, Ian? Sure, go right ahead. Because I, I kept up with the Hammer stuff recently, but I, I'm, I'm, I didn't know that Snake Eyes had died. Uh, Storm Shadow? Uh, no, uh, the, the correct answer is sean collins okay that is the real name of the new snake eyes all right no relation to danny devito that i know of (laughs) or space jam all right all right one to go one to go and we go marvel 1970 to 2000 in amazing spider-man number 344 we are introduced to cardiac Mm. he and spider-man are independently investigating the drug operation of justin hammer Mr. Hammer employs a certain member of Spidey's rogues gallery to protect his operation from Cardiac and Spider-Man. Name this hired muscle. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, when it was pretty close to new, Matt owned uh, this this comic and that I read it. Um, 
but remembering the villains that uh, he employed, um, I'm going to say Scorpion. Chris, I guess. I can picture the cover. Is it the Rhino? Rhino! Correct. Oh, damn it, that was going to be my second guess. <laughs> In fact, he even says, judges, I'll leave it up to to your discretion, but personally I think that Murd needs to utter Rhino's name with the proper inflection and enthusiasm, or else I believe that this should be a muddle. <laughs> well, I remember Rhino having some kind of special membrane over his face that made it web-proof, but I think that's actually older than the story in question. <laughs> Yeah, so I know he was in Hammer's on Hammer's payroll, but darn it, wrong one. Oh well, so close, so far, muddled by Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> so, congratulations, Dan, and thank you very much for helping to keep the wheels of American agriculture turning. As I, uh, living in a rural area as I do, I know how important the work that you do is. So I'll be only too happy to mail out to you uh, this uh, Han Solo drawing. Um, probably using close to the last of the funds remaining, uh, that were handed to me at that same C2E2 convention where I met you, Dan, uh, by uh, your fellow listener, Kurt Schmidt. And I thank Kurt for underwriting my, uh, muddle the mailing expenses for the past couple of years. It certainly lasted a while. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but it helps that I haven't gotten as muddled as often as I might. Ha <laughs> ha. Speaking of Spider-Man, may, may I wax rhapsodic for a moment? Please, by all means. Okay. So, I kill this episode end without discussing the first issue of Spider-Man Life Story, uh, which I got in my shipment, you know, last month's shipment. Let me tell you, I mean, long-time listeners know that I'm a big-time Spider-Man fan. I, I re-inaugurated the Spotlight format back in 2012 with a series on of, of Spider-Man episodes. But, I, you know, I, I haven't read the, the character consistently in recent years, although I, I loved a lot of what Diane Slott did, what I read – um, but I haven't stayed with the book on a monthly basis. I kind of got turned off of them trying to make Peter Parker like perpetually, you know, a bachelor. And I, mm-hmm. I just, I, I, I was, I was happy with the marriage, and I like to see, you know, at least the illusion of change. I mean, they made him a billionaire tech guy for a while, but then he blew that, and he was back to down on his luck. And I just got a little tired of it. Sure. Um, but when they announced this book and the concept and the creative team. Chip Zdarsky, who's writing, who I think was my choice for breakout talent of 2018 as a writer. I already knew him as an artist. And, uh, you know, with Spider-Man legend Mark Bagley on art, I, I was very anticipatory. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. It's been a long time since after reading a comic, I, like, got out of my chair, just, like, shouting euphorically to the air and, like, Punching the air with my fists <laughs> in a celebratory fashion. <sighs> I, I, I'm actually going to get a, a little bit emotional now in like like a speechless way because <laughs> everything I love about Spider-Man, especially that 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 Silver Age essence, mm-hmm. is just the book is, and I mean this in the in the best possible way, is saturated with that. It is. And from the the writing, the voice of all the characters, the and I don't want to spoil everything if you haven't read it yet, so I won't go into too much detail. But the, the way he captures the feel of that era, uh, 
it's it's one of the best Spider-Man comics I've read in years. Amen to that. Um, it'll pr- if if if, if, the, if the rest of the book is like this, it without question, will be my miniseries of the year. That's not that's just a no-brainer. Um, Chip Zdarsky is one of the top writers working not just in Marvel, but in comics right now. And what he's pulled off in this first issue, I don't I don't have issue two yet. I'm waiting for my shipment, for, you know, but at the end of the month, but. I, I was deeply moved as as a lifelong Spider-Man fan to see a writer so lovingly capture that period, but putting his own twist on it. It's not like it's just, you know, you know, just lost the nostalgia. Like it's again, the concept is Spider-Man is aging. Peter Parker is aging. Yep. So you know, there's going to be an end. Yeah. And it starts. You know, it's two years after he's been bitten. Or no, I'm sorry, four years. So he's like 19. Um, I think it's like 1966, 67. He's in college. You know, everybody's there. Gwen, Harry, Flash is going off to Vietnam. Like everything. That, like for me, one of the greatest periods of Spider-Man is is Amazing Spider-Man, the late 60s, at least 70s, when Stanley was, I think, doing the best, some of the best writing of his career on that character. And you know, the the the, the Clay Tablet, all those classic stories. So the feel of that era is is there in this issue, but it, it's it, it, it's an else world in a sense because it's aging and 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 there's change and Mark Bagley, except for John Romita Senior, draws the most beautiful Gwen Stacy I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And again, without spoiling anything. Gwen becomes a real character because, you know, Gwen, as much as I love the character in the 60s and 70s, she died. And that, in many ways, that was what's most important about that character. They, they didn't develop her the way they developed Mary Jane. And in just this one issue, wow, they really developed Gwen as a character. And you guys know what I'm talking about when it comes to the end of that issue. Definitely. And, and, and what happens. And, you know, an absolutely terrifying Norman Osborn, as he should be. And, you know, like they, they show different villains and like all the subplots, like it's all there. It's it's Spider-Man in the 60s. But they establish by the end that it's going to go because it's there's going to be change. He's going to age and it's finite. It's going in directions you don't anticipate. And how they apply the Vietnam War in the story and, and the complexity of that war and the contours of that war and how they bring Steve Rogers into that. Gentlemen, I got to tell you, I, I – I, it didn't bring tears to my eyes, but the emotion of reading that story and and everything I love about the character, which you know, look, they're properties; they're going to go on for as long as they're going to make money with them. And for for me as a reader, sometimes that makes the reading experience not that very satisfying, because you know that in the end, a lot of it's not going to mean that much. You know, the story is going to mean something. Yep. Um, so if you're – speaking to the listeners, if you're a Spider-Man fan or if you just love great comics, you know, especially great Marvel comics, pl- if you haven't read this, please go out and get this issue. And I think number two is out now by now as well. It's, because- it's not quite yet because I just checked. I think it might actually come out uh, – I mean we're recording this on a Tuesday. I believe it comes out tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I thought – yeah, I thought it was mid-April. So yeah. um, you guys both read it, correct? Yes. Okay. So without spoiling, what would you think? Uh, Murd, uh, I, I talked about it a, a little bit uh, last time around. Uh, you, you did get a chance to read it, right? Uh, no. Oh, you did Actually, not. I just, okay. 
I barely even skimmed it. I just kind of glanced at it. So there, I, I can say nothing about it. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, what, what I'll say is, uh, you know, just, just adding upon what I said the first time uh, I, I brought it up in passing is this issue is everything I wanted it to be and more. Um, well, but, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Mark Bagley fan and going into it. The only thing I was a little bit worried about is whether or not he'd be able to capture the feel of the 1960s. God, because, did he ever. Oh yeah. Oh. And in spades. And I think we can thank that as much on him as we can on the colors and the inks, because the style that they, that gets produced, it's distinctly Bagley but it's also distinctly 1966. Yes. And without doing any of those, you know, silly, you know, like photo effects where they, you know, pre-age the comic or anything like that. Like it's just, it just, it's just great art. It's, it's great. It's great, great art. art. It, it's yeah. great art. It feels old fashioned and it fits the mood entirely. Uh, the, the, the Manhattan that he's swinging through at the, at the beginning with like the ads for, uh, you know, for RCA and, uh, Fan Am instead of Pan Am, and uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly uh, by yep. by Clint Eastwood. Like it's it's just capturing it beautifully there, and yeah, the story itself just unfolds like classic Spider Man. Uh, Norman yep. o- Norman Osborn, as you said, is is menacing and uh, also at the same time, uh, in a way, thrilling. Like it, yep. it really captures you, like the edge of the edge of your seat feel that you wanted to for a story that's been told over and over again. It just still feels new somehow. And that, that's perfectly put in because everything's familiar, but it's new yes. because you know that you're in a, a different version of this character, mm-hmm. and, and that it's going to go in directions we really can't anticipate. And boy, do they make make that clear at the end, yeah, <laughs> of the first issue. Oh yeah. So, um, and and it, it what's exciting is it's like. Like when you read a great independent comic and you know like, all right, it's creator-owned, they have an ending in mind, and that really gets you you know, really jazzed about what you're reading. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt about this. Oh, yeah. Pretty much, um, pretty much everything John Byrne did for Superman and Batman Generations, this is going to do for Spider-Man. Yeah, well put. Yeah. So I, I think, I think I'm, I'm going to be reading it the minute that it comes out. Uh, I'll hopefully get a discounted copy like I did for this time around, and if I don't, then – Frankly, I will pay the the, the full digital because I, I can't well, wait for it to be here's on. Well, here's what I'm going to do, and this is how, how pathetic I am. Even though I've ordered this, I'm, pro- I'm probably going to have to go to the store and still buy it anyway because <laughs> I, I sound badly. <laughs> I want to read the next issue because um, they, they ended the first issue on such a cliffhanger. Yeah. So uh, – and I want to go back because it's been a while and read those, those classic lates because it's very much based on the feel of the late 60s Spider-Man stories that Lee wrote. Sure. Um, and all the all the, 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 the subplot elements are really all taken from that, like Flash going to Vietnam but and so forth. But, um, you know, it's just – I'm kind of speechless. I, I, I was – I was I was expecting it to be good, but it was even better than I thought it was going to be. And and knowing that it that each issue is a different era as well, knows that that that, that cliffhanger that we leave on, there's going to be things that have happened since then. Yes, which which they will either tell us or they won't, but we'll know by this Peter that we see next exactly how it affected him. And I can't wait to see how badly adjusts his art for for each decade. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Great stuff, and uh, I I'm with you there, uh, Chris. I mean, I'll I'll certainly let you nominate it as best limited, but it's <laughs> it's 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 easily to be, I I easily see it being my my best limited series of the year, no question about it. And, and bear in mind, you know, we're talking about this after just one issue. That's how freaking good this is. Oh my god, yes. So, 
<laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for that, for that uh, you know, orgasmic moment, gentlemen. No question. Um, I'll save I'll save the bulk of bulk of our conversation on this until both of us have had. Uh, oh, sorry, all three of us have had a chance to to read it. Indeed. Um, but I will mention Detective Comics one thousand. Ah. Um, I I just uh, read through it earlier today, and let me just go through the creators on this book real quick. Uh, Bendis, Paul Dini, Warren Ellis, Jeff Johns, Tom King, Denny O'Neill. Chris Priest, Kevin Smith, Scott Snyder, Peter Tomasi, James Tiny and the Fourth, Pencilers, Neil Adams, Greg Capullo, Greg Capullo, Becky Cloonan, Amanda Connor, Tony Daniel, Steve Epting, Jason Fabach, Mikhail Janin, Joel Jones, Kelly Jones, Jim Lee, Doug Monkey, Alex Maleve. Yeah, I've got it in my hand. I'm ready, and I'm, I'm looking through it, and boy, yeah. <laughs> what a it, roster. It's outstanding. Um, I'll say that the, the while, the, while the Steve Epting-drawn uh, part of the book is not my favorite story, it is easily my favorite art just because of the way he captures Batman in such a unique perspective. And there's this one page where where he manages to like engulf the entire page in in darkness and then just there's this bat silhouette on it oh. that it's just so thrilling it's it, it's the well, Denny O'Neill written uh, written issue too well and, and I'm I'm excited that that it's the Christopher Priest story is drawn by Neil Adams yep yeah Holy well, we'll talk, definitely talk about this when Murd and I have read it. No question and about they, it. And they they reunite the classic Daredevil team of Bendis and Malev here too. They do. Yes. Wow. Yeah, and 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 they they're also leading towards uh, future storylines uh, in the book because I know Tomasi is is taking over Detective uh, as of uh, one thousand and one. So they they lead into what his what his story is going to be as the last one. But uh, I think Chris Priest may also have a story that he's that he's doing with Batman soon because his ends sort of on a cliffhanger, and it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to pick that up somehow. Well, that's exciting because I, I wanted to mention I've just been catching up on his Deathstroke run because I felt like maybe about three months behind. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, the stuff he's doing on Deathstroke is just sensational. <laughs> um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a, everybody knows I'm a slobbering Christopher Priest fan, but he he, he just did a whole arc on. Deathstroke and Arkham and, and the ramifications of that, and he's just playing around with you know reality. It's so well done. Um, if, you, if, if you're a Deathstroke fan, you've not read this series. I highest recommendation. Mm. Um, it's it's outstanding. Other uh, other other books I got a chance to to, ca- to catch up on. Uh, I read through the rest of the uh, the Sasquatch arc of uh, of Immortal Hulk. I'm behind that. I can't wait to catch up. And uh, it it ends. Oh boy, the way that 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 Sasquatch arc ends is is thrilling. <laughs> that's that, oh, that's right. that's all I'll put it is that it did not go the direction that I thought it was going to go, and uh, it is very much going to change the way you view the Hulk and also the Green Door, which they introduce in the in the series. Uh, when it when it is left opened, it is scary. What might come out? All right. Um, very 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 good stuff there. Um, and uh, that's 
just about all I read uh, the, since the last time we spoke. I did, I did read an issue of Young Justice uh, uh, that got me caught up, and all I'll say about that is reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> oh, I love to go all minstrel on us there. Yeah. <laughs> When I when I try to sing, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. Uh, and uh, caught up on Heroes in Crisis as well, but uh, I think that's another thing that can be saved until the series is all said and done at this point, because uh, it's a whole lot of setup, and I still don't quite know where it's going. So uh, I'm with you on that, but I'm enjoying it. Same here, same here. Um, what I what I will touch on is I I made the purchase of DC Universe finally, um, and uh, the DC Universe Online's. Uh, you know, uh, online service, and uh, they had they had an introductory rate of, of that was essentially a dollar. So I went ahead and gave that a go, and I think I'm keeping it for the long term, uh, just because of what they have to offer so far. Uh, comics wise, I really haven't a chance haven't had a chance to dig deep into it, but I did start season three of Young Justice, and it is just as good as it ever was, if not mm. even more so. Um, this this season is known as Young Justice Outsiders. Um, and it begins with the Justice League, <clears throat> part of its membership, deciding that it's going to leave the, uh, leave the league because they feel like they're being uh, their hands are being tied by their partnership with the UN. So Batman and a bunch of others leave and start doing their own thing. Dick Grayson's already off on his own, so he winds up getting together a bunch of characters uh, that are loosely associated with the league but are also you know, either in semi-retirement or able to help him out on missions when necessary. Um, Black Lightning is heavily involved with this season. Uh, we have uh, the introduction of Geoforce, um, and uh, and that's handled very well as, as he tries to search for Terra, who's currently missing. Um, and uh, there's also uh, the character Halo, uh, is, and I'm not sure if that's, a, if that's an existing character in the comics or not, but I was never really familiar with Halo before now. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. She was a member of the Bars Outsiders, actually. Ah, well, there we go. Okay. This is a very different take on the character, uh, even looking at at, uh, at the Batman and the Outsiders uh, cover here. Uh, but uh, she does not know who she is, and she's trying to figure that out along with what power she may have. And uh, she's currently being trained by, uh, by McGann, uh, Connor Superboy, uh, Tigress, formerly known as, uh, as Artemis. And, and Dick over on the side as they also try to give uh, Geoforce an idea of what his powers are. And there's some great story building in, in, this, uh, in this season. There is one episode where, for those of you who've watched Young Justice seasons one and two, you may be aware that there's literally three different versions of Roy Harper running around. Uh, one that's, that's oldest... Uh, because he was a clone, the other one that was put in suspended animation, which is the original version of Roy Harper, and then there's a slightly younger clone, which was running around as Guardian for a while. And there is a essentially a getting the gang back together episode where Dick gets all three versions of Roy to help him in, on a case, and it is so much fun, <laughs> I can't even describe it. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, it's like such a such a just joyous experience for me, um, and everything about it just works. It, it, it's it's a series that remembers that legacy exists in the DC universe like no other, and uh, I hope it continues past this third season into a fourth and fifth, and as long as they want to do it, because it's 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 great stuff. And I don't know why it went away in the first place, but I'm glad it's back. 
Fantastic. Yep. And uh, that's that's all I have. Next thing I will be watching is uh, the Justice League versus the Fatal Five, which just got released and is now available on DC Universe online. So I'll have that to report on next episode. Ian, we appreciate the field report. Here, here. Anything else, gentlemen? <clears throat> Anything else, gentlemen? Uh, go ahead, Murd. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I, I wanted to have for, for a, a, some time now, actually. I've wanted to give a special shout-out uh, to uh, uh, listener Malachi Ward, hmm. uh, who is a cartoonist. Um, he sent a very nice uh, image of Rex Tyler's Our Man uh, to us at the studio some time ago. And I got to meet him in person at uh, the Emerald City Convention. He was a few tables down from Buzz. Cousin Buzz. Nice. And uh, I, I forgot to mention him when I gave my rundown of Emerald City a little while ago, and I felt bad about it ever since. So, hi, Malachi. It was, it was nice to meet you in person. So, there is that. And uh, something from the CGS mailbag. Uh, just so uh, uh, the fellow who sent it to us, uh, listener Brian Kane, who goes by Brian on the forums, uh, sent something along to the studio, which I picked up at the same time as I picked up uh, the, my Muddle the Murd prizes. Um uh, when we were doing the uh, nominations for the Best of 2018 Awards, uh, one of the nominations that I mentioned aloud uh, for that, that, that didn't quite uh, get, garner enough support to get on the ballot uh, for Best uh, like a Single Issue One-Shot or Original Graphic Novel, um, the, ter- the Terrible Elizabeth Dumb Against the Devils in Suits is what it was called. And uh, Brian uh, had a copy of this uh, that he uh, sent along so that I could uh, see it for myself. It was put out by Image Comics. Um, it was uh, written and drawn by uh, Arabson Assis, who is a Brazilian uh, cartoonist. And it's uh, the story of a uh, rebellious uh, teenage girl uh, whose father tries to barter her to the devil to pay off uh, a lien the devil has on the father's soul. Um, it's, uh, it's an interesting, riotous kind of read. It's, uh, it's about music and morality and family structure and struggle, and uh, the, the devil himself is uh, kind of an interesting character. And uh, the uh, translation to English by, uh, from the Portuguese uh, is uh, it's adapted by James Robinson. Oh, wow. Oh. So it's just like this. It, 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 it kind of it, it reads like a you know, kind, kind of like a a 70s action movie that just kind of spills all across the Brazilian countryside as uh, Elizabeth Dumb uh, tries to uh, uh, fight back against uh, this fate that her father is trying to foist on her here. Um, so, yeah, I haven't uh, read it all the way through yet. It's it's kind of been sitting here at uh, the Christmas barn, and uh, my uh, reading time has been taken up primarily by reading old uh, Shazam comics <laughs> uh, for an upcoming project. Uh, but uh, thank you, Brian, for uh, sending this in to us uh, so that uh, I could uh, see just what this title, was, this comic with the fascinating title was really all about. And uh, just, to, uh, just uh, something that uh, the, the James Robinson completist should have uh, for his or her library. Neither I nor the listeners have no idea what future project you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> then you haven't been paying attention. Wah, wah. But very, very cool. I'll have to check that out, especially with, yeah. now that I know that it's James Robinson. Very yeah, good. I'll happily uh, hand uh, my copy off to you after – well, it's, it's really our copy. I don't think it's, it's for me exclusively. It was sent <laughs> to the show. So I, I can hand that this copy off to you uh, next time I see you. Sounds good to me, sir. All right. I think we've shot our ball, gentlemen. I believe we have. Well, then – 
What happens when we shot, shot our boat? We go ahead and let people know all the things that they can find us at. So, Murd, are you ready to roll? Ready, Freddy. All right. <laughs> if you'd like to send us an email, our address is comments at You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at ComicGeeks. Go to thecomicforums.vanillacommunity.com, which is our forums, where you can uh, leave feedback about this and many other episodes of our podcast, and also engage in uh, the topic discussions uh, with your fellow CGS listeners and comic geeks uh, on a variety of subjects, uh, both related to the show and not. I would like to give special thanks to those of you who have uh, donated monetarily to the show in the past. Really appreciate it. The show would not be what it is today without your support. And as always, we're uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. 